Hello, and welcome to Asbury's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, will increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope that I'm actually somewhat entertaining. Somewhat. Um, we are in the Gospel of John, and um, we, we're... You know, uh, what I'm going to talk about today is something that you um, should have already read. I'm trying to remember. I've already read my Bible reading this morning. And I'm trying to... uh, Yeah, okay. So, if you're following along with our Bible reading plan, I'm recording this on Wednesday, the same day that it will be posted. And uh, I read John chapter 6 this morning. So, way ahead of what we're going to talk about today. You're going to notice that most of what I'm teaching on the podcast and most of what I'm preaching about on Sunday is going to be kind of in the first half of the Gospel of John. That is at least partly because um, as we move closer to Easter and we begin talking about, um, you know, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the passion and the crucifixion and the resurrection, we're going to be shifting into the Gospel of Mark. And so I'm just trying to not double dip here. Um uh, and, and that's, in, you know, I, I planned that out well in advance, and in hindsight, I kind of, you know, there's so much rich stuff going on in John. I wish I was spending more time in it, but that'll be for sometime next year, because I've got the Bible readings planned out for most of the rest of 2023. So, what we're going to talk about today is one of the most well-known Bible verses in the world. We're looking at John chapter 3, so you can guess it's John 3.16, which reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, we all know this verse, we all love this verse, we all have this verse, on bumper stickers or coffee mugs or tattooed somewhere or, you know, on a t-shirt or something. This is, you see John three sixteen everywhere, right? Um, your favorite football player probably puts John three sixteen written in white on his eye black on his face on, on, on game day um, for some reason. I have no idea what that verse has to do with uh, playing a violent contact sport, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so it's probably, uh, of all the verses in the Bible, this one is probably the one that is most well-known, most quoted. It's probably probably the most popular verse in the Bible, I would guess. I would guess more people would, would cite this as their favorite verse. Um, and to be totally honest, there are times when, pe- when, when people say this is their favorite verse that I kind of begin to wonder, okay, how much of the Bible have you really read? Um, and that's not a dig at you if it's your favorite verse. <laughs> it's just that because it's so well known and it's so popular, it kind of feels like it's the go-to answer. And I'm an elitist, apparently, and I don't like that. Um, so John 3.16. Now, I want to say, for as popular as this verse is, for as well known and as well loved as it is, I think it might be one of the most abused verses in all of the Gospels. Right? People love to quote it, but they invariably will quote it by itself, totally out of context. And that often screws up the meaning of it. Now, of course, it's a beautiful verse, but on its own, it can be a little misleading. And 
what I see very often is that people, if they want to extend the quote and try to put it in context, they will only extend the quote to verse 17, which says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, unfortunately, that's even more misleading. Because now, when you put these two together, you've got a quote from Jesus that appears to be saying that nobody is condemned because Jesus didn't bring condemnation. And I have heard and seen this passage used to push exactly that message very often. Very, very often. In fact, I, I mean, I've seen pastors, seminary classmates, even seminary professors at times, who sort of counter the popularity and, and what they believe to be the overuse of John 3.16 by putting John 3.17 everywhere, just like people do with John 3.16. And they explicitly state that, yes, this means there's no condemnation for anything. And the problem with that is that if you keep reading, it's pretty clear that's not at all what Jesus means. In verse 18, he states emphatically that those who do not believe in him are already condemned. In verse 19, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Now let's go back further before verse 16. This whole passage is part of Jesus' conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Jesus has told him that if he wants to see the kingdom of God, he'll have to be born again. Born not of flesh, but of the spirit. Now this is not a dichotomy or a dualism between body and soul. Uh, rather, it is about the the mysterious ways in which God the Holy Spirit is at work in us. When, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into us and we are a new creation in Christ. And so this is the second birth, or as John Wesley would have called it, the regeneration, the new creation. Through the Holy Spirit, we are transformed to such a degree that it's as if we now live a completely new second life. And to be clear... This is not Jesus teaching Nicodemus how to get to heaven. He tells him the new birth is needed if he wants to see the kingdom of God. And it's clear from the rest of the gospel, from the rest of the New Testament actually, that the kingdom of God is here on earth already. And so that means this entire passage is actually about the here and now. What it means to be faithful to God in this life as well as the next. And in verse 14, Jesus says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is one of those times when um, if you are not familiar with the Old Testament, you will not understand the gospel message. 
This is why I make such a big deal that you've got to read the Old Testament and know what those stories are because you won't understand what Jesus is saying or doing in the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament, if you don't know the stories. So this is a reference. This is a reference to a specific event that happened while the Israelites were wandering the desert. They sinned against God. And, and to be clear, by the way, before the, this verse is the interpretive key to the entire passage. This entire first half of chapter 3, this is the interpretive key. So in the wilderness, the people sinned against God. One of the many times they did so. And, and the result was this plague of, uh, what are called, it just calls them fiery serpents. Um... You know, venomous snakes that are clearly not of natural origin, at least not in the way they're depicted. And they're going through and they're biting people in huge numbers. And people are obviously dying or and, and falling ill as a result of these snake bites. And God tells Moses the way to save them from this plague is to make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, And walk through the camp while holding the bronze serpent up high. And everyone who looked at the bronze serpent would be healed and would be protected. All they had to do was look at the bronze serpent and they would be healed. People were dying because they were experiencing the consequences of their sin. That's that's what that is, right? It, it is the consequence of their sin made manifest. And so they are dying because they're experiencing the consequences of their sin. To be saved, they look on this bronze serpent and are healed. Jesus came into a world where people are still suffering and dying because of the results of their own sin, except on a far grander scale than what happened in the wilderness. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross, and all who look upon him, all who set their gaze on Jesus, will be healed. So, it's true that Jesus did not come into the world to bring condemnation. He didn't have to. We have condemned ourselves. Jesus comes to bring salvation and healing. But to receive those gifts, we have to turn our eyes to Jesus. We have to embrace the light of the world and let that light shine in the darkness of our hearts. And so this is not a passage that denies that there is any condemnation. It's a passage that states explicitly that we are the ones who've condemned ourselves and that it's sadly quite common for us to simply reject the one treatment that can save us. 
This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's verse 20. And, and, well, it's just verse 20. Um, and like the other parts of this passage, I think that's a part of the story that does not get enough attention. That, that we don't come into the light lest our deeds be exposed. One of the reasons I love the Gospel of John so much is his deep embrace of this imagery of light and darkness. Both for Jesus, who is the light of the world, and for us, who are, you know, we're, we're the the lamp on a lampstand, right? That, that, that illumines the whole house. Other Gospels use that imagery too, but uh, because John is so explicit about tying in Jesus as the light of the world, it, it, uh, it, it works a little bit more powerfully in his Gospel. The implication here is that we... We will reject Jesus because we don't want the light of Christ to illuminate the darkest depths of our heart. We don't want to face what's down there. And I'm, I'm really, you know, I think people will spin this sometimes as we don't want everyone else to see the darkest depths of our heart. And, I, you know, that's some of it. But I really think, I really think, we don't want to confront that part of us on our own. We, we, we don't want to actually look into the darkest depths of our own hearts and acknowledge what's really there. We don't want to acknowledge the worst parts of ourselves. And I get that. I mean, it makes total sense. We, we like to think of ourselves as being pretty good. We like to believe that we're, we're honorable, respectable people of good character. And... Letting that light shine into the darkest parts of our hearts might make it harder for us to keep up that idea of ourselves. And so we're afraid. And the problem is, if we let him Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will not just illuminate the darkest parts of our hearts. He will cleanse them and purify them. 
It's not like Jesus just shines a light on the worst parts of you and says, wow, you suck, and then moves on. He says, look, here's where you need healing. Here's where you need me. Here's where you need the Holy Spirit. He offers us the treatment to our problems. The best part, the best part of this metaphor of light and darkness is darkness by definition is nothing. It's nothing. When you walk into a room, you turn on the light. Right Now, we can define what light is. Light, light is measurable. Visible light is actually a form of radiation, right? It can act as a wave or a particle. We can measure it. We can control it. We can generate it. We can do things with it. We can use it to illuminate. We can use it to do work. We can concentrate it into a beam and use it to burn through things or melt things together to construct, to destroy. We can do things with light. We can manipulate it. We can, we can alter the shading of it. We can create it. When you walk into a room, you turn on the light. When you walk out of a room, you turn off the light. You don't turn on the dark. Because darkness is nothing. Darkness is, by definition, the absence of light. That's all it is. In the same way that cold is merely the absence of heat, darkness is the absence of light. Which means... Darkness, by definition, cannot continue to exist in the presence of light. Years and years ago, uh, my dad and I went, were in Sonora, Texas, and we were uh, we went down in the caves in Sonora, and the guide took us into um, one of the deepest chambers they, they that they bring tourists into, and. She you know, lined us up and had us stand against the wall and said, look, you put one hand against the wall so you, you know where you are. And then she turned off the light. Now, <clears throat> I thought before that moment that I knew what darkness was like. But I had no idea. That was darkness. That was the actual complete and total absence of light. I remember the sensation of moving my hand, but having no ability to see where my hand was. I moved it at one point so that it was right in front of my face, and there was nothing. I could not perceive Anything at all there. And, and honestly, it is impossible to convey with words what that feeling is like. If you've not been in a place like that, and you are not blind, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And in fact, even many blind people have some measure of, of the ability to sense light and, and shadow and motion. And so even then, it's not quite the same. That was darkness. Now, the amazing thing was what happened next. The guide lit a match. Now, we're in a chamber that's probably <clears throat> similar in size to the worship center at Asbury. 
She lit one match in that place. And you could see everything, every detail of that room, every single bit of it, you could see by the light of one tiny match. It only took that little bit of light, that smallest amount of light that I could possibly imagine, to completely dispel the deepest, most total darkness I have ever seen. Jesus is the light of the world. His presence dispels the darkness. So I understand the fear. I experience the fear of letting that light shine into us, of, of opening ourselves up to it and seeing what it might do and what it might reveal. But here's the, the, the thing to understand. <clears throat> The light will only reveal the bad things for a split second before it completely dispels the darkness. The, the continued sin we experience as Christians is those are places in our heart where we have blocked the light from entering. So my encouragement to you today is to let the light of Christ shine into you. To not be afraid to open up the entirety of your heart. To not be afraid of confronting the darkest depths of your heart. To turn your eyes on Jesus. And let him transform you completely. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.